Well, good morning. So good to be with you all today. Um, my name is Gabe Hartfield and uh, Gabriel Hartfield. <laughs> Gabriel Hartfield, and uh, um, I am the young adults pastor here at Crossroads. Um, so um, I love being with you guys every time I get an opportunity. Um, for the last few weeks, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through Genesis, um, and uh, we've been working our way chapter by chapter through this amazing book and seeing what God has to say to us. And then um, last week, Rod talked about chapter 16, and this week, we're going to jump into chapter 17 of Genesis. Um, so if you want to turn your Bibles to uh, Genesis 17, and um, as is our custom here for the first reading of God's Word, we're going to invite everybody to stand um, for the reading of God's Word. So I'm going to read a larger chunk here, but um, chap- Genesis 17 Verse 1, it says this, when Abraham, or when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you um, for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants. Um, uh, to keep every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah hear a child or bear a child at the age of 90? And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A 
Okay, so when we look at this section, it's kind of organized into three different sections. Um, each one of them, uh, each one of the sections is, starts with the same phrase. Um, it starts with this. You can see in verse four, God says, as for me, um, and then verse nine, it says, as for you, and then verse 15, as for Sarai. So each section starts with this as for, and he's listing out the terms of the covenant for them. And so it's broken into these three sections. Now it's important to know that it's not just um, these three sections, they're not just about the covenant, but each section is God saying, this is how I'm gonna keep my word, okay? As for me, this is how I'll keep my word to you. The next section, verse 9, as for you, this is how I will keep my word through you, and then this is how I'll keep my word to Sarah, okay? And he lists these different sections here, and as he goes through them, it's all about, the theme is how God keeps his word, and he is a person who can be taken at his word, okay? Now, the first section, we're going to go through just kind of sequentially. The first section, it starts off with, as for me, and God lists seven different times. He makes seven statements of what I will do. He says seven times what I will do. And so he goes through and says that he's going to bless him. He's going to make him this great nation and do all these things. But probably the most interesting part of this section is he changes Abram's name to Abraham. Now, Back then, whenever a covenant was made, there would often be different elements of the ceremony. A few weeks ago, we talked about how um, there was a bowl that was cut in half, and that was like the part of the ceremony, and they'd walk down, and God walked down on behalf of both parties, okay? And so they walked down. This part gets to another part where there's a name exchange. Now, this is kind of something that's modern that we think of. Um, there is, uh, you can see kind of the name exchanges that happen here with Abram and Abraham. So um, if you notice, each one of them, they add an H to it, okay? So Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. And then in the next part here, um, it's, I have another image that shows a little bit more of what's going on. In the Hebrew, this letter is hey, hey, okay? Um, and so you can see that Yahweh's name has two H's in it, two hey's in it. One gets added to Sarah's name, and the other gets added to Abraham's name. Now, I think it's important to understand it wasn't just back then that name exchanges happened. We have this in modern day covenants. So a modern day equivalent is when there's a marriage covenant happening. There's typically a name exchange and one of the spouses takes on the name of the other spouse, their last name. This is what's happening with God here. He's actually giving them part of his name. He's placing it as part of them. And then after that, um, one of the other things that a scholar says about this is that letter hey, the H, it actually, you have to breathe to say it, to say hey. And so they actually say this is God breathing life into Abraham and into Sarah. He's breathing life over them. So he's attaching his name to it and breathing life into it. Now, there's a lot of people who had name changes in the Bible, okay? You, you can see there's a list I have here, a list of different names that get changed. So Abram to Abraham, father of many, Sarai to Sarah. Um, real quick, you guys can hear me good? Yes? Okay, good. I was playing with my mic for a second. But um, Jacob, who's deceiver, gets his name changed to Israel. That's kind of a spoiler for a few weeks from now. Um, 
This one, not as many people know, but Hoshea gets changed to Joshua. He's the one that walked around Jericho. And then Simon gets his name changed to Peter, or the rock. Now, I feel like Dwayne Johnson took this a little too literally, and I feel like I've always wanted that too, like my name to be the rock. It's just got so much power in it. And I think one of the things that's a little bit frustrating, like when I'm reading the text and almost frustrating about God, is there's sometimes where God, he says something as though it's going to happen. Like he says something that doesn't seem true and then acts as though it's going to happen. Okay, and like when I was younger, I had a really hard time as a kid saying something that I didn't feel was true, okay? So when I was younger, I remember there was a time where like um, a phone would ring and I'd go to answer it and a nameless parent would say, tell them I'm not here. And I would pick up the phone and said, she doesn't want to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) My mom's over here. And I I had this time where it was really hard for me because I did not want to say something that I felt like was not true. And here God, and all through the scripture, does this, okay? It's kind of annoying. He says to Gideon at one point, who's a guy who's like kind of a coward, he says, you mighty man of valor. He calls this coward a mighty man. And then in another place, in Joel, he says this, let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I'm rich because of what the Lord has done. And then in Genesis 1, he says to the darkness, he says, light be, let there be light. And all of a sudden, it comes into existence. He just says these things and acts as though it's going to happen. And it does. And so we get to this part where he takes a childless man and renames him Abraham. I feel like that'd be like the equivalent of me naming a bald person Harry. Um, I I think it just doesn't feel like, you know what I mean? I might have a little bit of trouble doing that. I actually, I had um, my name. I was born and my parents named me um, Gabriel. And I kept going by the name Gabe, okay? And one time I visited a church, my brother's church, and... um, I met this older lady that was there, and uh, she shook my hand and asked what my name was, and I introduced myself, and I said, Gabe. And she looked at me kind of funny, and then she, I said, you know, like Gabriel. And she pulled me in close and said, no, it's not like Gabriel. It is Gabriel. And then she goes, and there was power in that name. And I'm like, holy cow, somebody's got the Holy Ghost, you know. Um, and... She followed me around the church, and every time I was greeting or meeting somebody else new, she's looking over their shoulder and making sure I say, Gabriel, okay? Now, now even to this day, I have trouble doing that. I even, when I first came up, said Gabe Hartfield. So you guys could help me, like hold me accountable, Gabriel Hartfield. There's power in that name, right? Um, And so I think for myself, I've had to like kind of push myself. I can only imagine how hard this was for Abram. For 99 years, he had a, he'd gone by the name Abram. And now suddenly his name's changing to Abraham. And I can just, you know, see like maybe like there's like a town hall meeting when he gets back and he calls everybody together and says, hey, I just want to let you all know. <clears throat> gets everybody in there, all the servants and everybody that works for him and says, I talked with the Lord today. And from now on, from this day forward, you're going to call me father of many. And they're like looking around and somebody's like, 
Like, is this a pregnancy announcement? Like, and Sarai's over there going like, I don't know. I don't know if he knows something. I don't know. But, um, and they're doing this. And then it gets to this part about circumcision. And I can just feel like the meeting goes like this. Oh, and before we dismiss, I want all the guys, all the men to stay after for a special meeting. Don't worry. You're not losing your job. But we are making some cuts. Um, you know, so it's... Um, Okay. Uh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> church can be fun, right? So it's. And then we get to this part about circumcision, and I think for me, one of the interesting parts about it is when you look at covenants that were made back then, they would make them on their hand, okay? Um, so just like how I said, in a wedding ceremony, there's an exchange of names. There's also in a wedding ceremony or covenants, there's a symbol given, right? And so we often give rings. Back then, they would make cuts. And a lot of times, these cuts were either in the ear, on the face, somewhere on the hand. Why, of all places, does God choose circumcision? Why did he choose that place? And the other thing that was kind of surprising to me, I thought that circumcision was unique to the Jewish people. But actually, if you look at it in history in the ancient Near East, there was many other peoples that did it. Some did it for, you know, it could be health practices or there could be um, different uh, cultic things. But God chooses this one. Why does he choose that? Well, in the same way that crosses were not unique to Jesus, but God through Jesus took and changed the meaning of crosses forever in the same way Although circumcision is not unique to the Jewish people, what God did through Abraham changed the meaning of circumcision forever. And a lot of scholars have debated why he did this, but I think one of the things that's most interesting is I think he put the cut, the sign of the covenant, in the place that was most connected to whether his promise would come to pass, whether or not he was going to have a child. And God puts it there because he's trying to say, I will keep my word. This is a sign of the covenant. I will keep my word. I'm changing your name because I'll keep my word. I'm having you put this mark on because I will keep my word. God is a man of his word. And then he, um, in the New Testament, some people are like, well, does that mean the Gentiles need to have the mark of circumcision? And they're like having this big debate. You might remember it um, in the book of Acts. And um, they talk about it. And afterwards, they decide that the new symbol is baptism. And Paul writes about this. And he comments in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, says this, For you are not a Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. It is the mark of God on someone's life, not a knife on the skin that makes someone a Christian. And so he changes the name to show he keeps his word, and then he also leaves this mark. But you think about this, and this meeting's going on, and Sarai's probably thinking, okay, um, you know, he first changes his name, doesn't even tell me, and now, you know, he's leaving this mark. He's, she's probably like, he's just finally lost it, you know what I mean? And I often wondered how Sarai felt about this. 
Because if you think about it, she probably from that day forward would hear his name, Abraham, father of many, father of many, and she had to call him that. And she probably, it's probably salt on the wound, just a constant reminder that the thing you were believing for, that your husband's believing for, can't come to pass through you. Can you imagine the pain that must feel? And then to make it, like, put even more on it, God changes her name to Sarah, which some people translate as princess, but another says that it's going to be the mother of many, mother of nations. And how she must have felt being the mother of, called the mother of nations, and she's a barren 90-year-old woman. You know, there's some things that don't seem like they would go together, but they do. For example, jumbo shrimp. Sweet and salty. Lions and Super Bowl. Oh, sorry. Maybe a little too soon? Okay, um, all right. I actually, guys, on a total side note, not to make this about football, but they did a really good job this year, and I'm pretty excited to see next year, right? Um, but my point is, if I can get back to my point here, um, calling somebody mother of nations who is barren, it doesn't seem like those things would go together but God makes it so they do. It says in one part in the scriptures that God calls those things that do not exist as though they do. He has power with his words, and he says this to her, and he calls it out in her. And I think in some ways God wants to do the same in us, call things out in us. But then, if you read this part here, it's in 15, so you're going to change the name, and then, verse 17, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now, if you read chapter 15, you remember that he believed God and it was credited him to righteousness. Now, why is he laughing now? Why is this hard for him to believe? If you notice, God's actually changing the game a little bit. Before, he just promised that he was going to have a son. But now he said, it's going to happen through your 90-year-old barren wife. And if it doesn't happen, I am a liar. And God is staking his name and his reputation on this. Why is God doing that? Why does it seem like he's like flexing or trying to like show his power? Verse 18, and, um, Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then this part we didn't read yet. Verse 19, God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So he says that, yes, I understand that you're concerned about that, but it's going to happen through Sarah. Why is God stacking the cards or the odds against himself and almost making this promise harder. Why is he doing that? Now, if you weren't here last week, in Genesis 16, Rod explained that um, God, while God had promised that they were going to have a child and have a son, Sarai, like years and years are going by and she's not sure what to do because um, she's barren. And so she takes matters into her own hands, brings her servant Hagar to Abraham and has them sleep together because she's like, well, if God's not going to do anything about it, I'm going to just make it happen. I'm going to help God. Now, we, we falter or criticize her, but have you ever been in a place where you've believed God for something for years? Maybe you've prayed for something for years. If you're single, maybe 
It's that you've believed God or been praying to get married one day to find a spouse and it hasn't come into uh, to being yet. Or maybe you're married and you haven't had a child and you're not sure if you can and all of a sudden this fear comes over you with that. Or maybe it's you actually, you, you're a parent and you have had a child, but your child has turned away from the Lord and you're not, you've been praying and praying and hoping and hoping, but you haven't seen any change yet. Or maybe you've been praying about a job that you want to get, but you haven't seen the change yet. Or there's something in your life, like maybe a broken relationship, and you're believing that it'll be reconciled, that some forgiveness will happen someday. Or you, you're ill or you know somebody who's ill, or somebody that's handicapped, and you're not sure if your prayers are gonna to come to pass for this person, or somebody that you wanna see come to know the Lord, and you've been praying and praying for years, and it's got to the point where you're just about to throw the towel in and be exhausted. Maybe what she did, if you're at that point, can be kind of rational. Like there's, um, I think, three ways I see people respond to this often. Three common responses are sometimes where if people have been praying and they haven't seen it come to pass, sometimes they just conclude, well, maybe there is no God. Or two, they think, all right, maybe there, God does exist, but he's not good. Or three, well, God exists, but he's taken his sweet old time, so I'm just going to be God and do it myself and take it into my own hands. And that is exactly what Sarai does. She decides, you know what? He's taking his time. He said it's going to happen. I'm just going to cheat the system and make it happen. Have you ever wondered how that made God feel? That they don't think he can keep his own promises? And so they're going to try and push it in their own way? Have you ever had it where you were playing a game and you could kind of tell the other person let you win? Like, does that feel good, or does it feel like an insult? Insult. You know, insult. I remember, I'll just tattle on myself for a second. When I was first dating um, Montana, my wife, um, I remember we were playing ping pong, and at one point, I, because, you know, uh, the, the um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not sure what I was trying to say there, but, um, but we were playing ping pong, and all of a sudden, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to let her get a point. And so I tried to like act like I went for it, you know, and then it goes off the table. I'm like, oh, and she goes, uh-uh, don't you do that to me. I want you to fight me. I want to know that you're giving me your best because she wanted to like prove something, okay? She didn't want me to just give it to her and give a pity win. I've had this too when people just let me win. Maybe you can relate to this. Like I'm a um, new husband and so like when our car wasn't working, she was like, well, um, we can call the mechanic. And I was like, uh, no, no, no. I can fix this, okay? I can do it, I'm man, you know? And, um, and I um, looked up some YouTube videos called my dad, and um, then I went out and fixed the car. Um, but there's sometimes where something rises up in you where you feel like you've got to prove it. There was this movie a few years ago, I don't know if you've seen it, there's like, you know, there's Monsters, Inc. Um, anybody like movies here? Um, there's a sequel to it that not everybody knows about, so if you haven't seen it, I'll explain the scene, but there was a scene in particular that caught me because at the end of the movie, or close to the end of Monsters University, there's um, these teams are competing and they've got this machine that has a robot kid and each one goes in there to try and see who can scare them the most, okay? And you see who gets the most points and teams get eliminated if they don't do well and finally it lands down with just these two last teams, okay? 
okay, one is the good guys here, and it's got, um, gosh, there's two characters named. There's a blue one named, I think, Sully, and then, um, the, okay, you guys know it, Mike, Mike Wazowski, okay, the green, he's the green guy with one eye. Anyways, um, and then there's the bad guys team, okay? And they rush in, and they're doing their thing, and it comes down to the wire, and it's the last person to go in. And of course, it's Mike, okay? And he ha the whole team is depending on him, like if he can do it. And so he rushes in, gives his loudest roar, and sure enough, it wins. It gets the max points, and they win, and there's this huge celebration. And I'm like, well, that was a very predictable movie. And then it takes a twist. And if you remember what happens, he goes up to it, and he's so proud of his winnings. He's by the machine, and he just, he's like, I did it, and snaps his finger. And all of a sudden, the thing gives max points. And he realizes, he looks under it, and realizes it's been tampered with, and made so it's set on easy mode. And he's like, who tampered with this? And he looks around and realizes his friend did it. And he says, why did you do that? And his friend goes, uh, he's like stumbling over his words, and he goes, J just in case. And he's like, in case of what? And then it dawns on him. And he realizes, and he says, you didn't believe I could do it. And that's why you cheated. Because see, when you cheat to help someone else succeed, you think it would make them think you care about them. But actually, when you cheat to help someone succeed, it shows you don't have confidence in them. And that might be a sliver of how God felt when this happened, almost insulted. Now, God isn't this green, one-eyed monster, but God, in this moment, may have felt like, oh, you're going to just try and cheat the system because Abram and Sarah, they had this promise, but you don't think I can carry out on what I said I would do? And so you go and do it in your own way and try and cheat the system because you don't think that I am capable of doing this. Is that what you're doing? I feel like there's some times where we try to do those things. We're like maybe if you're in college, you might feel tempted to try and cheat to get a good grade on the test. Or if you're in um, a job, you might feel like, okay, well, I'm jockeying for this new like, promotion or position. And if I just gossip about this other person, make them look bad to the boss, then somehow I can get it. And we feel like we have to go around these things and not depend on God and his faithfulness and power. I think there's so many times in scripture and through life where people are tempted to take the shortcut. If you remember when Jesus was here, he was tempted three times in the wilderness. He was tempted to, uh, get, uh, the devil said, if you worship me, I will give you these kingdoms. They were already promised to Jesus. And every single time he's tempted, he says, it is written. Why does he say it's written? Because he knows that God can be taken at his word. And he keeps quoting, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then when Jesus is about to go to the cross, all of a sudden this pressure to find a loophole, another way to cheat the system or go around this pressure. And three times he prays, not my will be done, but your will be done. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And in those moments when you feel the pressure to try and manipulate or try and make it happen in your own way or striving of the flesh, would you pause for a second and remember what Jesus said not my will be done, but your will be done in this situation. When you've been exhausted and you feel like it's never going to come through and you're tempted to just try and react in your own ways, would you pause and say, 
it, it is written. And you remember what Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And every time you feel that pressure, you say, I am going to stand on God's word and remember that he is not a man that he should lie, but he keeps his word. He can be taken at it and be trusted. And I think that's why God is trying to show over and over again that this is why I'm going to promise this to Abraham and I'm going to show my power on your behalf because I want to show you that I am a God you can trust and depend on. I'm reliable. And if you think about this, this can even change your prayer life. Sometimes I'm so convinced that the reason why we pray such weak and anemic prayers is because we've forgotten who God is. That's why at the start of this chapter, in verse 1, God introduces himself and he says, I am God Almighty. This is the first time that name has been used in the whole Bible. I am God Almighty. El Shaddai is what he says. And he's trying to say, I am powerful. I am all-powerful and I can do whatever I want. And I can change situations however I want. Would you look to me and trust in me? Would you remember my power? in every situation of your life, even the ones you're exhausted and just feel beaten down by and feel hopeless, that he is El Shaddai. I remember when this started to hit me uh, a few years ago, I had a friend that um, he basically had an addiction to drugs and um, he had stole from me and my roommate to try and pay, uh, to get, or get more money to pay for substance. And I remember I was just walking around, I didn't know what to do in this situation and I was praying um, and I was saying, God, if you can do something. And all of a sudden, I felt like God just stopped me in my tracks and said, what do you mean if I can do something? Don't you remember who you're praying to? And all of a sudden, it just like lit a fire in me and changed the way I prayed that day. And I remember saying, you're the God who broke Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And if you can do that back then, you certainly can do it now. You can break this person out of bondage and bring freedom in their life. And I, that day, the person um, called me and they said that they admitted themselves to rehab. Now, that is a situation where I saw a prayer happen right away, like get answered right away. But I want to point out one thing. Sometimes we think that faith is all about the results but if you look at um, Hebrews 11, where it lists all these different people who were heroes of the faith, a lot of them it lists and it says they did see God's promises come through. But then at the end, it says there's a bunch of them that never saw it happen in their lifetime. But all of them, the ones that got answers and ones who didn't, they all were commended for their faith. And so faith isn't always about the results, it's about the process and continuing to stand firm even when you don't see it. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And in your life, you may be tempted to just throw the towel in, give up on God, but I'm telling you, I've learned over and over again and many people in this church that God is faithful and he keeps his word. He's El Shaddai, he's an all-powerful God. And I think one last thing on this is... Did you notice verse 20? Verse 20. After all of this has happened and he's said, uh, he's changed the name, he has given the sign of circumcision, he's renamed Sarai, he says in verse 20, and as for Ishmael, oh, there's a fourth and as for. I thought there was just three, but he lists, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you, I will surely bless him. 
I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his number, and he will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. And what this is showing, because some people might have uh, thought that Ishmael was just a mistake or like their blunder, their, it was them trying to do it in their own power. But God, the God we serve, is the same today. And he says that every mistake, every sin, he can redeem that. That's why in the New Testament, when it says, um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. You can stand on that and take him at his word that he can redeem everything in your life, the good things and the mistakes and the bad things. And I think his faithfulness even to Ishmael shows that. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we don't have to worry about whether he can redeem those. We already know that it's finished. And the thing is, Abraham got up and he took action that day. From that day forward, his name was changed and he also, him and his whole household got circumcised and all God's men said, ouch. And last, last night when I was studying for this passage, my dad uh, sent me um, Romans 4 where Paul is actually talking about this. And I'll put it up on the screen here. But Romans chapter 4, it's talking about Abram. And it says, he, Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I think why we're so about the Bible here is not just because it's a religious thing, but because it's God's word, and we believe he will keep his word, and that he is reliable. And I want to just, as we close here, I want you to think about this verse over yourself, almost as a prayer over yourself. Would it be said of you that you did not weaken in your faith when you considered your own life or your own circumstances or the people around you? You did not weaken in that. No unbelief made you waver concerning the promise of God, but you grew strong in your faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised in your life. Would you pray with me? God, it's not an easy thing that you ask of us to be able to just say, I'm gonna trust you in all the circumstances. It's something that actually, that's a pretty serious thought to consider. And so if there's anybody that's struggling with that, would they know that you're a God that walks with us even in those unbeliefs, just like with Thomas, who struggled to believe, but you still walked with him and called him back. When Peter denied you, you still called him back. And in the places where we have come up with our own plans or tried to do it in our own way or our own power, that you can redeem even those things. That you're not a man that you should lie. You're not like me, God. You're better than me. You're better than us, God. You're a God that keeps your word all the time and you're powerful. May we know you as God Almighty. And may, as we enter into 24-7 prayer this week, may we be reminded of who we're praying to. Not that we just get the privilege to pray, but who we are praying to. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.